Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, Wes prayed there for us in the, in the middle and prayed that the Lord would give me joy as I preach. And I thought, you, do you know what the definition of joy is? Joy, joy is a relational word. We've talked about that before. It means that you're glad to be with someone else. So at its heart, your, your heart is searching is searching to experience joy, to be glad to be with your Creator, which is what Jesus makes possible, and then also to be glad to be with the people of God. And I know Wes was trying to steal my joy this morning, (laughs) but actually I'm glad that he showed that picture to you all, right? Because you learned a little bit more about who I am. We talk a lot about being fridge friends, and that, well, what we mean is having fellowship where it's not awkward. If, if you're close enough with a few individuals, you can go over to their house and open their fridge without asking, and it's not weird. And now all of you know if you come to my house to open my fridge that you might find me in a bathrobe. <laughs> I'm a cold-blooded person. I'm also a tightwad. So I keep the, keep the temperature down, and sometimes I put my robe on, and I'm confident enough to answer the door in that thing. <laughs> also, I'm a cheesehead. I'm disappointed about the game last night, but uh, we're better than the Bears. So, sorry, Brian. (laughs) Sorry, Brian. There's a dig for you. All right. Yeah. I hope you are glad to be here this morning. I'm glad that you're here. I've entitled the message for today, And We're Off. Because as we, we've been going through this series, Jesus, the man of mystery, we've, we kicked it off last week. We had the gunshot, sort of. You imagine Jesus kind of in the blocks uh, on a track, track meet or a track and, track and field. You can tell I'm a big sports guy, right? Goals, right? Whatever they call that, the track and the blocks, he's, he's ready to race and get off into his ministry. And so a few weeks ago, we talked about the baptism of Jesus, which you can think of as kind of the, the gunshot or the, the starting shot to Jesus' ministry. And then as we read through Mark, we just see him sprinting as fast as he can through the mission that, that he has started to unpack that we'll read together here this morning. He, he talks about what he's getting after. He talks about how the kingdom of God is coming near. And he just he starts to talk about his mission and he recruits a, a following to himself. As we talked about last week, as Jesus begins his ministry, it starts off very clear, right? There's a voice from heaven, and, and the Spirit of God is sent to descend on him in the, in the form of a dub, and it, it seems pretty obvious. But as Jesus kind of starts that sprint into ministry, he gets a little cryptic, a little confusing at times. And we talked about why that is last week. If you've ever been confused or struggled to understand who God is or understand what he's, what he's up to, I talked a little bit last week about, about why that is. It's because... Love requires a certain degree of hiddenness. Love requires for there to be authentic love between us and an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-creator God. He, he has to be hidden to a certain degree so that we actually have a choice in the matter. And so God operates in our world. He's present enough so that those of us who want to know him, we can see him and we can see evidence of him. But he's also, he's also cloaked or hidden enough so that people that don't want anything to do with him can ignore him altogether if they so choose. And it should be no surprise to us that when we see Jesus, who is God with flesh on, coming to minister upon the earth, that we would see him try and strike that balance between open and obvious and cloaked and hidden. 
For those who want to know Jesus and want to investigate, he's dropping clues. If their hearts are receptive, we can press in and we can know and have relationship. But for others who are either too fearful or, or just not interested or have hardened hearts, they, they don't know what to make of him and, and they can d- dismiss him altogether. And so, again, this morning we, we've entitled the message, And We're Off. The question is, what are we off to? Where are we going? Those are some of the questions I want to answer as we dive in the passage this morning. So let's do that. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark 1. You could swipe there on your phones too. It'll be on the screen as well. I'd prefer if you had it in front of you. There's a reason for that. Uh, I think it's important for you to be able to see that, that what I actually put up on the screen is in God's Word and not just some verse I invented. Right? I would never do that, but I want you to, to check me. And as always, as Christians, God, God wrote the Bible for us. You're smart enough, you're bright enough, you have the tools available. You can study and and learn and hear from God's Word by yourself. And so I I want you to get in the habit of getting God's Word out in front of you. So you can check me or you can check whoever else is up here sharing. You can also make notes and, and, and have your own personal scripture in front of you. So let's read it together. And we will learn a bit more about who this man of mystery is, Jesus. From Mark 1, starting in verse 14. After John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, said Jesus, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone on a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. All right, that's the text for this morning. We're just going to go line by line, and we'll start with the very first phrase in verse 14. Mark records for us, he says, after John was put in prison. This John that Mark is referring to is none other than John the Baptist. You've heard me refer to him as Johnny B. There's a lot of Johns in the Bible, so John the Baptist is, a, is an important one. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. He is said to be the one who, who came in the spirit of Elijah, as was prophesied, to prepare the way for the Messiah. That prophecy is found in Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Essentially, Johnny B. was sent by God to prepare the way for the king of Israel, who would save the people from their sins. In modern day language, you can think of Johnny B. as kind of Jesus' hype man. You know what a hype man is? It's like a, like a publicist, right? He's announcing the, ri- the arrival of the king. He's drumming up the, the viral sensations, right? He's, he's doing kind of the, the marketing campaign that's supposed to pull people in and, and pique public interest. Get them asking the question, who is, this, who is this new young rabbi on the scene? Who is this Jesus? That's what John's job was. And as John is kind of stirring up the hype for Jesus, as he's kind of out in front making a name for Jesus and, and publicizing Jesus, he too becomes sort of a public figure. And uh, as Jesus begins his ministry, we see an overlap between John the Baptist and Jesus. They're, they're kind of working in tandem together. But John recognizes, and he tells his disciples as much, he says as Jesus' ministry, as he starts out of the blocks and starts running hard in ministry, and his ministry begins to, to pick up speed, John tells his disciples, he says, as Jesus increases, I must 
decrease. It's John 3, verse 30. John is in the Gospel of John, not John the Baptist, right? It can be confusing. In John 3, verse 30, John the Baptist tells his disciples, he says, He, he means Jesus, must become greater, I must become less. And that's what Mark, in the Gospel of Mark that we just read, that's what he wants wants to clue us in on. You see, as you read Mark, Mark is kind of sparse on details sometimes. He's in a hurry to tell us who Jesus is and let us know how we should respond to him. So he doesn't always give us a ton of details. And as such, he he tells us, all right, John's in prison. His ministry is fading into the background. Jesus' ministry is is coming up large and in charge. He is stepping onto the world stage. And you're like, Levi, we just read that. Like, what world stage? Right? Look at it again. Look at it again. John gets put in prison. And then Jesus goes on into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. It might be Galilee. I'm not, I don't even know what that city is. World stage, that's what Jesus' ministry is? You might be thinking, like, I've seen the chosen. I've seen some of the Bible stories. And, and when, when I see them, I don't think world stage, right? I don't think like New York City or, or Hong Kong. Galilee, that sounds like some backwater, just small town, little podunk place, nowhere off the grid. And if you are thinking that, I understand why you would be thinking that. But you would be wrong. You would be wrong. I read a, a commentary this week. Commentators are, are like Bible nerds, right? They know a lot of stuff about the Bible. And they're super helpful sometimes. So I read this guy this week. And here's what he tells us about the city of Galilee. He says, Galilee was the center of a humming political and commercial life. It stood at the crossroads of the nations of the ancient world, through which the armies and traders and diplomats passed. There, some of the greatest battles of the world had been fought. Galilee was the home of a thoroughly cosmopolitan population. Many languages would be heard in its markets. Multiple ethnicities mixed freely. Galilee was a land of passing excitements, dangerous fashions, of barbarous dialect and offensive manners, right? It sounds like you're reading a script for Pirates of the Caribbean and they're describing like a pirate town, right? I had, I had a laugh at that one. I told you, Bible nerds. That's what a commentator is. But it's helpful. It's helpful to know this. Essentially, Galilee was like the hustling, bustling place and many cultures that were coming together and I'm sure clashing. So culturals, cultures coming together, clashing. Political tensions, ethnic tensions. It runs high in this town. It's a major crossroads of culture and commerce. You see, what happened in Galilee, it would have spread out quickly to the rest of the modern world because it was a crossroads. People passed through it. People talked as they passed through it, and word spread. So my point is this. As John's ministry is fading into the background, Jesus shoots out of the blocks into his own mission, gathering a people, and he begins at the center of culture at a crossroads in culture where he knows that if he begins his ministry here and people start talking, word will spread. But he doesn't begin his ministry as one might expect. You remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the baptism, voice from heaven, spirit descending and like a bird shape or something. I mean, it's visible. So you would think Jesus is going to come out of the blocks and start like doing Crazy miracles and just speaking directly like, hey, I'm here, you've waited for me, let's go. And he, he does that, but it's a lot more hidden and it's a lot more 
cryptic than that. Even as he calls his disciples, we're left with many questions, right? If you're reading through that, if you've never read it before, and I would encourage you as you read scripture, try and read it as if you've never heard the story before. We got this Jesus, he shows up, okay, voice from heaven, but now he's going out and he's walking along, along the beach, apparently, and he calls out to these fishermen, he's like, hey guys, come follow me. And Mark, Mark's, he doesn't give us any details, it's like, they drop everything and they do. It's crazy. Why? Who is this guy? What's up with this? Well, thankfully, other gospel writers, John, Luke, Matthew, they give us more details, and so we can understand a little bit more of the, the psychology behind what's going on, like what would compel someone to leave their entire profession, their father, their father's profession, like John, the son of Zebedee, he's, he's set up to inherit his father's business. And Jesus comes, he's like, hey, follow me. And like, dad, see you later. Like, thanks, you made the business, but I'm out. Like, what is going on here? It leaves us with all kinds of questions. And we're going to get to that in a second. But before we do, I want to focus in on the message that Jesus, as he's coming out of the block, starting his ministry on a full sprint, what is the message that he starts proclaiming? He enters Galilee, right? Mark tells us that Jesus begins proclaiming what will become the drumbeat of his ministry. He begins proclaiming the good news, which he defines as the kingdom of God coming near. That's the content of his message. That will be the content of his message through, through the whole time of his ministry, And it's a message which he expects a response. And he tells us here what he expects that response to be. He says, the kingdom of God is near, so repent and believe the good news. Now remember, we should try and read this as if we've we've never heard it before. Try and think about if you were alive when Jesus was saying these things. I realize some of us have read the New Testament, and so when Jesus says this, you're backfilling with all of your knowledge. But there are others of you here, maybe you're new to church, maybe you've You've been in church for a while, but you haven't spent a whole lot of time studying scripture, and you're you're still like, I don't know what Jesus is talking about here. That's okay. That's actually a a decent spot to be in. You're you're in the same shoes as, as many of the disciples early on. They didn't have the context that we have. And so Jesus shows up, and we have to ask the question, what would have his first hearers have heard as Jesus says these things? Hey, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. I think they would have been super confused. Is Jesus about to lead a revolution, right? What is this guy? Who is this guy? He's from Nazareth. Remember Nathaniel last week? Nazareth. What good can come from, what good can come from, who is this man? There's confusion surrounding him. He's truly a mysterious figure. I know I've talked a lot about the chosen recently. I think it's super helpful. And one of the things that they do is you watch it, they, they subtly hint at this reality, the confusion that, that existed around Jesus. Occasionally, as you're watching the show, you get to peek in to some of like the Roman officials and some of the conversations that are happening behind their doors, and they're intrigued by Jesus. They're also nervous about Jesus, right? Jesus is doing miracles. He's saying some fascinating things and, and healing people, which is, wow, that's crazy. But also, the, the Roman officials are cluing in to some of the subversive things that Jesus is saying. He's talking about a kingdom. To their ears, what kingdom? Rome's the only kingdom I know of. Like they're shutting that stuff down quick. And so we we get this, we get we get to see the back door of of the confusion that exists around this person of Jesus and the the fear that exists around him. The Romans are are nervous because they hear political 
speech coming out of Jesus. They hear echoes of revolution. And some of the Jews, they're like, yeah, they hear echoes of revolution. And they're hoping that Jesus would lead a political revolution, would free them from their Roman overlords, right? So when Jesus says these things, it's important to remember. When he says, the time has come, it's a loaded statement. The time has come for what? Kingdom of God, right? It's near. What the people heard and what Jesus meant, it's two different things. The people heard kingdom of God and instantly thought of political revolution. But when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God coming near, at least until he returns again, when he speaks of the kingdom of God coming near, he's not talking about political revolution. He's talking primarily about spiritual transformation. When, when Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near, he was referring to the rule and reign of God upon this earth. But not necessarily in like a geopolitical sense as in establishing a nation, but more in the sense of, of, of a spiritual reality. So if I were to paraphrase Jesus, and again, he's speaking, he's speaking cryptically. So I, I get that he's like not ready to fill all of this in for people. But if we were going to do that for him this morning, here's what I, what I kind of think Jesus is hinting at. So here's my rewrite of, of Jesus' message. Listen up, everyone. The time has come. Up until now, Satan spiritually has been large and in charge here on this earth. You've seen his effects all over the place, right? But now I'm coming to reestablish my rule and reign here for anyone who wants to follow me. I will rewire your hearts and your minds so that you can follow me in a way that's been difficult and almost impossible up until now. I'm going to pour out my spirit, not just on on a few people, on everyone who wants to follow me. You will have direct access to me. If you want to live under my kingship, you can. Why? Because I'm bringing my kingdom here. It's near. It's near. It's close. Come be my people and I will be your king. You see, when Jesus speaks of his kingdom, he has in view his rule and reign. And eventually, that will look like a nation with, with a palace and a throne and, and a place. But right now, he, it's more in a spiritual sense. It's everywhere because we have access to him personally. And he says, if you want to come under my rule and reign, you can. I still want you to submit to the rulers I put in place, unless they tell you stuff that, that's counter to me. But even as you live under your earthly authorities, I need you to know you can live under my authority now in a unique way, because I'm bringing my kingdom here personally. And so Jesus invites people to follow him as their king, as their Lord and Savior. And then he gives us some definition although it's not a lot of definition, as to what following him as our king looks like. He says, my kingdom's come near, so repent and believe the good news. And we're going to talk about those two words in a minute. But before we do, I want to say a word about confusion. We've talked about how maybe even as I've been talking, you're like, Levi, you're like a squirrel this morning. I can't follow you. I'm confused, right? Or, or we're, talking about, we're talking about how Jesus was kind of cryptic sometimes. There's a lot of confusion surrounding who he was, what he was up to, the kinds of things that he was saying. And I just want to say a word about confusion. First off, I got to believe that for the first disciples, 
I think there were probably a lot of people that, that were excited about Jesus at first, and then he starts saying stuff that make them scratch their heads, and they're like, no, I'm out. Like, I don't understand what this guy is saying. They understand Rome's authority, and they're probably thinking like, hey, best case, this Jesus guy, he gets, he gets killed by Rome. Worst case, this Jesus guy gets killed by Rome, and he brings a bunch of us with him, and we get killed by Rome. Like, we don't, we don't know what he's talking about. He makes us confused, and, and we're nervous and afraid, and so we're out. Like, I don't want anything to do with that. And sometimes confusion will do that to us. Sometimes, as a new Christian or a person who's seeking, you go to church for, maybe it's been a while since you've been in church. Maybe you've never been in church, and you, you get here, and it's confusing, right? We're... We're, we're singing songs you, you've never sang about things you have no idea, like set a fire in my heart. That sounds dangerous, right? <laughs> right? It's, it's confusing. We're singing new songs you don't know. I asked you to turn and open your Bible to Mark, and you're, I don't know where that is. Now I'm talking about this John and that John and John the son of Zebedee, and there's all these characters and stuff, and you're lost. And for some people, it's enough of a foreign language, all of that confusion. You might be like some of the early folks that heard Jesus, and you just think, I'm out. Like, I never want to feel that way again. Right? When we get in situations where, where we're confused, a lot of us, because we live in a world of information and experts, we all think, like, we got to Google it, we got to understand, and if we don't, just keep your mouth shut, keep your head down, hopefully no one finds you out, right? That would be embarrassing if you didn't know. That's what, that's what confusion does to us. And if that's you, the first thing I wanted to say is, you're not alone. You saw the picture, like, the guy that wears a cheese head, I'm confused most days, Right? There's a lot of folks in here that have been where you are or are currently right where you're at. You can't make sense of all of the names of the Bible and the places and people and some of the words that that I say and, and, and it doesn't, that's okay. You're not alone. Most of us are confused a lot of the time, myself included, right? Confusion is a part of it. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. Confusion can drive us away sometimes, but it doesn't have to. You're not alone. You're not alone. The other one thing that I wanted to say about confusion is that if you don't know your identity, if you're unsure of who you are, if you're nervous of being found out, right? Like you're a fraud, you might be embarrassed, you don't know stuff, that, that can drive you away. But if you understand who we are as a people of God, that this is a safe place, that might change things for you. And for some of you, like, safe place, you're talking about, like, snowflakes and the political... No, I'm not talking about that. Set that stuff aside, right? I'm talking about what it means to be a people of God here. We are a people who treat weakness with gentleness, love, grace, respect, and compassion here. We're, we're a people who treat weakness with gentleness and grace. Why? Because we understand that we ourselves are incredibly weak people. And Jesus treats us with grace and love and compassion. And so if you're here and you're lost and you feel weak and you don't understand what's going on, you're not alone. And you're not alone in your weakness. And if you ever display some of that weakness, know that we will do our best to treat it with grace, with love, with respect and kindness because we are a people who treat weakness with those qualities. So if you're afraid or confused of being found out, you need not be. Most of us are confused a lot of the time. It's okay. And this is a safe spot. You're in good company. We love you. And we're glad that you're here. 
So I want to pray towards this end real fast. Would you pray for me or pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray that if there's any confusion, any fear in this room this morning, that you would turn it into curiosity rather than shut us down. I pray that you would, you would use the confusion that might exist about you, about your word, turn it into curiosity, draw us in further up, further into community, further into friendship and love in your church and in you. And I pray that for all of us, that you would help us to respond with weakness, not with fear, but with grace and love. You help us draw each other closer to you in doing so. We ask this for your glory and our joy. Amen. All right. That was a little bit of a tangent, but I wanted to talk about it. Back to Mark. Mark gives us a phenomenal illustration of what repentance and belief looks like in the examples of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Simply put, Jesus calls and they follow. Jesus calls and then they follow. Look at it again, verse 16. Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, he calls, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little bit further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. First thing I want you to notice is how Jesus calls these men. He meets them where they're at, and he speaks to them in their language, a language they can understand. He goes to them where they are. He says, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. He speaks to them in language that they can understand. Think about that for a second. You're these guys. At this moment, do you think they have any clue about what Jesus is talking about? Probably not. Best case, they probably think Jesus is asking them to help him recruit an army to lead a political revolution. So, best case, they're confused about what Jesus is saying. And notice what Jesus does. Nothing. He doesn't correct them. He doesn't like say, okay, I know what you guys think, but that's actually not it. Let me explain the finer points of all the theology and what we're talking about. No, he's just like, yeah, come follow me. You guys have no idea what you're signing up for, but come on, let's go. I love that. I love that. I think for some of the older Christians, and by that I don't mean like length of time, I mean those of us who are perhaps a little bit more mature, been in the faith longer, I think it would be wise for some of us to take notes from Jesus here. I don't know about you, but I tend to be a very, very impatient person. Very impatient. You can ask my kids. Not a, not a strong point. Right? I want things done right now. Yesterday. Do it. I want people to change. I wish you could like choke people into Jesus. I know you're not supposed to say that, but sometimes they're like, what are you doing? Right? I can't, but I'm so impatient when it comes to so many things, including how slow I am to change, how slow we are to change as a people. But Jesus, man, Jesus is such a patient king. He meets people where they are. He gives them enough to get started, but he doesn't overwhelm them with demands. He's content to walk alongside of us down some of the crooks and crannies that we shouldn't go. He'll walk right with us. He's content to walk with us, to go at the pace of life. Three miles an hour. He walks alongside of us and begins to transform us slowly over time 
at a pace we can handle. I love that. It's frustrating sometimes, but not when it's for me, right? It's real good when it's for me. (laughs) I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. When Jesus calls us, he calls us where we are. He meets us where we are. This means, church, that you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to have it all figured out to start following Jesus. He loves you where you are. He calls you where you are. But he also loves you too much to ever let you stay there. And he loves you enough to deal with, to deal with you patiently as he brings us along to new and better places of transformation in our lives. Jesus loves us where we are. He loves us as we are. But he loves us too much to ever let us stay there. The key is that we each and all of every one of us start following. That's what the key is. We begin that transformation journey. Some of us will be faster, some of us will be slower. And Jesus is patient. The key is that we begin the journey. That we drop everything, like Peter, Andrew, and James, and John, and we start following. This church is what repentance and belief looks like. Laying down our stuff like a net or a job opportunity, a legacy family business. Laying down our stuff, leaving behind our stuff so we can follow Jesus. Repentance and belief looks like turning from our ways, what comes out naturally, instinctually, turning from our ways to follow Jesus' way. It looks like believing Jesus enough to trust him. Lord, these are my thoughts, these are my attitudes, these are my actions. I don't want them to be, I want to follow your way. I want to follow you as my king. I want to live under your rule, your reign. Now, if I were a better pastor, I'd probably say, all right, let's crack open the Greek and let's look at what repentance and what belief is in the original language. Let's do a word study, but I don't want to do that. I want to tell you a story that I heard just this past week that illustrates for us all what it looks like to live under the kingdom that has come close, to live under the rule and reign of Jesus. I want to tell you a story from one of you, a family member here, that just happened this past week that illustrates for us what repentance and belief looks like in everyday life. Here's what it looks like. I was in group this past Wednesday, and we started doing this new thing where we share identity statements before we get into the content. So I had them go around at the beginning of, of uh, two weeks ago. I said, all right, here's what we want to do. I want to I share a char- Everybody's going to go around. You're going to share a character flaw. One way where you consistently drop the ball. You know how you should act, but you don't. I want you to share that. And then together as a group, we're going to look at some scripture and come up with an identity statement that shapes who we are and helps us combat our character flaw. So we did that. One of the statements that we came up with was, we are a people who are quick to listen and slow to speak. So we did that the first week. The second week we got together, we read the statements together, and we read them, and I was like, this is going to feel a little hokey, but I think this is going to help us mold and shape our character. And so we've been doing it. So we get together, we read, I don't know, there's like seven or eight statements that we've got, we'll add to the list. We read through it, and after we read through it, I said, guys, I don't just want to read through this every week. I want to read through it, and then I want to talk about it. If we have examples of how this helped us or where we dropped the ball, we can just share from our heart a little bit and encourage one another. And so we read through it and we get done and, and I share all that. And one of the gentlemen in my group, he was like, so I dropped the ball royally this week. 
He said, well, you know, we're, we're a people that are quick to listen and slow to speak. Here's what happened. I was at work, and something happened between me and another coworker that really just torqued me off. And I just instinctively, I let him have it. I threatened him with violence. And as he, he was telling he's like, we almost like, we, we didn't fist fight, but we were like, you know, nose to nose. We were, it was intense. It was intense. They're, they're at it. And I would say, in that moment, and the gentleman that was sharing was feeling guilty about it. Why? Because that's not a mark of the kingdom of God, right? Right? Coming to fists. That's not a mark of God's kingdom coming near. That's a mark of, of Satan's rule and reign, not the reign of King Jesus. And so he's telling this story, and I was like, okay, like actually, been there, like I can relate, sorry, I, I feel, I feel, there's shame that comes, I get it. It's like, so what happened? He's like, well, that happened. And a couple minutes after that, I just, I felt horrible. And I just, I started to think it was Monday. I started to think, just yesterday I was at church, I'm supposed to be a Christian, and now I'm doing all of this stuff, like, what the heck, man? And our group were like, yeah, that, that stinks. And, and, and uh, he goes on, he says, but I was praying about it, and I decided, this isn't right. It ain't right. This ain't the kingdom of God. I'm a person that, that is quick to listen and slow to speak. So I said, I went back to this fella, and I told him that. I said, man, I was in church on Sunday, and I'm supposed to be a Christian, and here I am treating, treating you like this, and, and it ain't right. It ain't right. And I'm like wanting to just leap up on my chair, and he's feeling all kinds of like shame and guilt. I'm like, dude, you crushed it. You crushed it with the gospel. This is what repentance looks like. This is what belief in Jesus looks like. Like, yeah, you dropped the ball. Do we all drop the ball? The difference between a believer and a follower of Jesus is not that we never sin. Do we still sin? The difference is what we do with that sin. We repent. We go back. We tell Jesus, I'm under your rule and your reign, and when I miss it, I come back under it. I make peace instead of war, and listen to what happened next. He follows, he, he leaves the kingdom of darkness. He comes under the rule of reign of Jesus through repentance and belief. He, he seeks this gentleman's forgiveness. And in a statement, that ain't right, you know, like I love that. It's how he's talk. It's not like, hey, bro, will you forgive me for doing that? We don't talk like that. Hey, that ain't right. I should be a Christian. Sorry. Right? Forgiveness. And the gentleman, he tells him, he said, well, I just took communion on Sunday too. How I treated you. That ain't right either. The kingdom of God coming near. What could have been a fight, what could have been a broken relationship for the rest of their lives, they made peace because of Jesus. They laid down their pride, not fishing nets. They laid down their pride to follow Jesus. That church is what repentance and belief looks like. That church is what it looks like to hear the call of Jesus in an everyday situation. Hey, come follow me. And we put down our stuff, our ways, our fear, our pride. We repent and we believe and we bring the kingdom of God near and beautiful things happen. We make peace instead of war. We make peace instead of war. We're going to move into a time of communion now. 
And as we move into this time, I want to I just create some space for you all. I want to encourage you to think personally about how you can embrace Christ and his kingdom in your life. As we remember together that our king laid down his life for us to offer forgiveness by allowing his body to be broken and his blood to be poured out. I want to invite you. I want to invite you to think about what you need to lay down to follow Christ. Is it your pride? Is it your desire to have all your ducks in a row theologically? Is it fear? Is it your way of life or a certain desire or want? I don't know. The band can come up, and as they do, I just want you to take a few moments and think through that question. What do I need to lay down to follow Jesus? What is the Holy Spirit asking me right now? Maybe it's to make peace with someone. Maybe you've been holding a grudge on someone for your whole life, and the Lord Jesus is saying, hey, come follow me. I want you to forgive this person. I want you to hand them over to me. Allow me to be the debt collector. You don't have to be. Let me take that. Just think about what, what is it that the Lord is asking me to lay down, to repent and believe and follow him, to bring his kingdom close. As you're thinking about that, talk you through the details here. As Wes said, we practice open communion. What that means is if you know Jesus personally, or if you want to know Jesus personally and you want to begin that relationship today, you say, Jesus, I don't have it all figured out, but I want to come follow you, then you are welcome to partake in, in, in communion. It's for you. Jesus' body was broken for you. His blood was poured out for you, and, and you can partake in this. And so what we're going to do, the, a couple youth group kids, which I love, they're going to serve us communion this morning. We're going to pass out the bread. I ask you to hold the bread until everybody has it. And then I'll lead you through a little deal here where we kind of ponder the body of Christ. You can start passing out the bread, actually. So we'll get the bread all passed out, and then we'll do the same thing with the juice after. So we'll wait till we get the bread all as a crew here. If for some reason you don't feel comfortable, just let it pass on by. There's no shame in that. someone that you need to tell later today or tomorrow that ain't right it ain't right how I treated you as a, as a person of God that's, that's not who I am I want you to know that that wasn't right that's what it looks like to move towards someone and seek their forgiveness acknowledge where you missed it close to is sometimes the hardest, isn't it? Swallowing our pride to seek forgiveness from our spouse is a lot of times the most, that's the most difficult. 
this point. When they're in the upper room, they were having a meal, a time of fellowship together. Jesus instituted a, a new, a new covenant. He gave us this symbol to remind us of this covenant. You might not always live up to it, but here's who you are because this is my body that I'm going to break for you. When you miss it, when you're not perfect, my body has been broken so yours doesn't have to be. My body has been broken so that you can always know that when you miss it, you can come into my presence, not for condemnation. You can come into my, my presence to receive grace, to have your mercy treated with forgiveness, compassion, and love. As often as you take of my body that's been broken, he said, remember this truth. So let us take of the body of Christ together. thing to lay down so is fear fear is an incredibly difficult thing to lay down isn't it just this past week a friend of mine texted me and he said you know I, I wonder if there are some people at crossroads who who have a tremendous amount of fear they don't feel like God is with them they don't feel like like they can see or sense his presence and I just I just wonder if they might be encouraged by a passage that's found in scripture It's in 2 Kings chapter 6 where Elisha, one of God's prophets, or Elijah, I think, one of God's prophets, is coming under attack from, physical attack from the armies of of foreign nations. And he's got one of his servants with him, and his servant is deathly afraid. It's two men against an entire army of people. And Elijah's just calm, cool, and collected through the whole thing. And his servant is like, well, what is going on here? Like, we're about to die. And Elijah says, there are more who are with us than against us. And he prays a prayer and he asks that God would open his servant's eyes and give him a glimpse into the spiritual realm. And God peels back the the curtain, so to speak, on this, this servant's eyes. And he looks up into the heavens and he sees the host, the chariots of fire surrounding the, the armies that are encamped around them. And because of that, He's able to lay down his fear and embrace the peace of God. Loved ones, I know sometimes life is a fearful thing. We get diagnoses. We get all kinds of of bad things coming our way. Sometimes when Jesus speaks to us from the shore and says, come follow me, sometimes what we have to do is lay down our fear. The fear of the unknown. The fear of a certain decision. And I want to remind you this morning that There is more in our camp who are for us than in the army's camp who's against us. Be encouraged. Jesus says, come follow me. You can lay down your fear and know that he is with you, that he is for you. So as we all have the juice now, after Jesus had broken the bread, he 
corked the glass, the wine or the juice. He says, this is my blood that has been shed for you. As often as you take this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. thank you for your patience thank you for your love thank you for the patient way that you pursue us Lord when confusion creeps in when fear creeps in when pride creeps in would you love us enough not to let those things get the better of us love us enough not to let us be overwhelmed by our emotions Love us enough to meet us where we are, to speak in a language that that we can understand. Give us enough, Lord, to take the next step of faith, to follow you. As we follow you, Lord, I pray that you would help us to repent and believe, to turn from our ways, to follow yours. When we turn away, give us grace to turn back. Do not let us be crushed by our own guilt or shame. Thank you that you promised not to heap on condemnation. May we always find grace. May we always find a twinkle in your eye because of what Jesus has done that lets us know you are so glad to be with us. You are so glad to be for us. Help us walk in that encouragement day by day. For your glory, for our joy. Amen stand and sing a closing song together.